0: and thank you for joining me for this kind of unusual podcast and I say unusual because it's a topic that you don't really cover a lot at GCSE in school or even at A level and in fact not a great deal at undergraduate level and what I want to discuss is the role of something called the glymphatic system that's the glymphatic sounds very similar to lymphatic system which is taught at school so what I want to do is really explain how it works. So the glymphatic system works as a waste carrying drainage system which removes unwanted materials but from the brain. It was identified as a system in 2013 by Danish neuroscientist Maiken Niedergaard. Now he used the term glymphatic because the system actually works in a very similar way to the lymphatic system but it's managed by the glial cells of the brain. Now, the brain weight accounts for only about roughly 2% of the average adult body mass, but it consumes anywhere between 20 and 25% of the body's daily energy. So, obviously, such a metabolically active organ generates huge amounts of waste materials, including soluble proteins. It's essential that the brain can remove any potentially toxic substances, because if they accumulate the function of the CNS or central nervous system will be impaired. And the glymphatic system is particularly relevant here. And it's actually more active during periods of sleep. So what I want to do is describe the structure and role of the lymphatic system, because only then I think, can you really appreciate how the glymphatic system works. I want to talk about the cellular makeup of the CNS itself, how the glymphatic system acts as this waste disposal system and the link to finish the link between sleep and the lymphatic system. So let's talk a little bit about the lymphatic system, because then I think you'll be able to appreciate a little bit more about what I'm explaining in this podcast. So the lymphatic system comprises basically of this network of vein-like tubes, or lymphatics, that permeate the whole body, carrying the fluid lymph in a one-way system. It consists of primary lymphoid tissue, so th- like thymus gland and bone marrow, and secondary lymphoid tissue, so things like lymph nodes, which people will have heard of, tonsils, and the spleen. Now the lymphatic system has several roles in the body. It drains the excess tissue fluid and returns it to the blood, and in this way it helps to regulate the fluid levels of the body. The lymph nodes contain what are called T and B lymphocytes, or white blood cells basically. And the nodes filter substances that are travelling through the lymphatics. But the lymphatics, or the lacteals, in the small intestine are also able to absorb fats from the gut So the question is how is the lymphatic system able to maintain fluid levels in the body now how high rather sorry pressure blood enters the tissues through the arterial end of a capillary bed, The liquid part of the blood, that we call plasma, is forced out through the fenestrations and the basement membrane of the capillary walls into the tissues. Now, this fluid is called tissue fluid at this point. Tissue fluid carries soluble substances like glucose, uh, like amino acids. Now, substances like plasma proteins, so here we're thinking albumin, fibrinogen, globulins, they're way too big to pass out of the blood through the capillary walls. And other structures that remain in the blood are things like right, white and red blood cells and the platelets. Now tissue fluid circulates through the tissues, delivering the useful materials and picking up waste products. Most of the tissue fluid re-enters the circulatory system at the venous end of the capillary bed. Excess tissue fluid, however, is drained into the lymphatic vessels to prevent edema or swelling. Now, this fluid is called lymph. Lymph moves through the lymphatics by the contraction of the surrounding muscles and eventually drains into the circulatory system at the point where the thoracic duct joins the left subclavian vein. Waste products entering the circulatory system are taken to the kidney and the liver for removal. Now, there is no obvious lymphatic system in the brain and this led scientists to investigate on an alternative waste removal system. Now to appreciate that we need to look at the cellular organization of the central nervous system. Now the central nervous system or the CNS comprises of the brain and the spinal cord. Cells of that nervous system are divided basically into two groups. The nerve cells or neurons which conduct the electrical impulses over the long distances. They actually can't undergo mitosis or cell division And they're classified according to their function, so motor, sensory, relay. And those kind of fundamental, they're the fundamental things that you learn about in A-level and GCSE. But what we don't really talk a great deal about are the glial cells or the supporting cells. Now, they are important because they don't actually conduct any of the electrical impulses that we teach about but they can undergo mitosis cell division. They surround the neurons and actually have four different functional variants. So there's the oligodendrocytes, the astrocytes, ependymal cells, and the microglia. I think what's important to consider next in this story is the role that the glial cells actually play in the CNS. The glial cells, these supporting cells, provide physical and chemical support to the neurons in the brain, and they are differentiated to carry out very specific roles. The oligodendrocytes basically form the myelin sheath around the axons of the neurons in the CNS. That is in total contrast to the PNS, or peripheral nervous system, where individual Schwann cells form the myelin sheath. The astrocytes that I mentioned, they support neurons by, uh, well, several ways actually. They provide nutrients by making contact with both the nerve cells and the capillaries. They help to maintain the extracellular environment by regulating the concentration of things like ions and chemicals. They provide structural support for synapses, but they also form part of what's called the blood brain barrier, a structure which basically blocks the entry of toxic materials into the brain. Then there's the ependemal cells. These line the fluid-filled cavities or the ventricles of the brain and of the spinal canal and produce what we call CSF or cerebrospinal fluid. And then finally, microglia. They basically scavenge and break down dead cells and help protect the brain from microorganisms. So let's look at the cerebrospinal fluid or the CSF in a bit more detail. That is a clear fluid that's created from blood plasma. And it's mainly secreted by what's called the choroid plexus. The choroid plexus is a layer of highly folded cuboidal epithelial cells, covering a network of blood vessels that are found within the ventricles of the brain. Now, CSF production is brought about by the the exchange and the transport of ions. and It's mainly uh, ones like Cl-, chlorine, uh, sodium, Na+, and carbonate, HCO3-, across the epithelial cells of the choroid plexus. Now that creates a water potential gradient which moves water from the blood into the lumen of the ventricle. The constant production of CSF creates a pressure which drives the mass flow of the fluid through the ventricular system. CSF basically circulates within the brain and the spinal cord and it flows through what we call the subarachnoid space. It's basically the the space between the skull and the brain. Now here it protects the brain from kind of knocks and jars. But CSF also provides nourishment too and helps remove waste materials from the actual brain cells. In adults, roughly about 150 centimetres cubed of CSF circulates within the central nervous system. But around 400 to 600 centimetres cubed is secreted on a daily basis as the fluid is constantly being refreshed. So now let's look at how the glymphatic system works. Well, the glymphatic system is a network of channels that surround the blood vessels. They pump this CSF, cerebrospinal fluid, through the brain tissue to remove the waste. So let's look at the mechanism of the glymphatic system. So blood vessels in the brain, surrounded by channels, and they are called perivascular spaces. The outer wall of these spaces are made from the feet of astrocytes, which wrap around the blood vessels, completely surrounding them. CSF from the subarachnoid space moves into the periarterial space. And you have these what are called like, pulsations, if you think of them like that, of the arteries. And what they what that does is help drive this fluid along. The astrocytes that I mentioned earlier have a large number of aquaporins, they're water channels and they're embedded in the membranes on the ends of their feet. And the aquaporins line the perivascular channels. The CSF basically moves into the astrocytes and then it goes into the brain tissue. The metabolic waste products generated by the brain cells pass into the circulating fluid. That fluid moves into the perivenous space surrounding the veins, which drain blood out of the vein, and from this space the fluid drains into the cervical lymphatics, or it crosses the capillary walls into the veins. Now I said earlier at the start, well actually at the start of the podcast, that I wanted to look at the glymphatic system in relation to sleep, and this is perhaps one of the most fascinating areas about this particular aspect of the human body. The glymphatic system is constantly filtering toxins from the brain, but it's inactive during periods of wakefulness. During sleep however, the brain's extracellular space expands, so there's actually less resistance to the flow of fluids. Experiments in mice have interestingly showed that the flow of CSF in the glymphatic system fell significantly when the animals were awake. However, after they were asleep, the fluid flow in the system increased dramatically. Now, lack of sleep has been shown to impair the clearance of toxins from the brain, and this has had this apologies, this has been linked to neurodegenerative diseases. So, for example, in patients with Alzheimer's, a protein called beta-amyloid forms, forms plaques between the brain cells. Now, in healthy individuals, the beta-amyloid is cleared away by the lymphatic system. Sinuclein proteins are found in patients with Parkinson's and Lewy body disease. A functioning lymphatic system may also be responsible for carrying those away. Abnormalities in the perivascular spaces are found in most cases of vascular dementia. These abnormalities may be impacting glymphatic movement as well as interfering with cell signalling mechanisms. Traumatic brain injuries are linked to subarachnoid bleeding, stroke, scarring and inflammation of the astroglial cells. Damaged cells impact the glymphatic system and it's less likely to remove harmful proteins and therefore lead to permanent brain damage. And finally, an inability to sleep may be contributing to the dementia in patients, rather than just being a mere side effect. There are still so many unanswered questions about the role of the glymphatic system and how it may be harnessed to basically alleviate diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. New drugs could be developed to increase the rate of CSF flow during sleep, which would actually help flush out these harmful proteins. It's certainly an area for further research, and it may actually have the potential to reduce the number of dementia patients. So there we have just a, a quick introduction to the role of the glymphatic system. If you've got any questions at all about anything that I've mentioned, do get in touch at kytospology at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time.